I've been realizing more and more as we read scripture, even just today when we were talking about Cain and Abel um, and that cross-reference in Hebrew 11 uh, of the Lord, like how faith moves the Lord's heart. Um, And um, that's just such a, I think the idea of faith to me, I don't know about you guys, but it sometimes to me feels like insubstantial as a word, like what I mean by that is like I've heard it used so often in church and like um, and, and applied to situations that like, um, well, you just got to have faith, you know, in this thing. Um, and I've kind of become disenchanted with it a little bit or it feels a little bit watered down. Um, but when you read scripture, you know, you have in Hebrews the hall of faith, yeah. right? And um, really where what, what moves the Lord heart, what moves the Lord's heart in that is. Um, saying yes to him, right? That's ultimately what this faith is. It's just like, oh my gosh, Lord, like I recognize that you are the creator of my world and the world around me and of blessing in my future and of my lineage and of my family and of prosperity before me. Um, so yeah, that, that's a big challenge for me even as I'm teaching this and talking about this is how can I cultivate more faith in my life and um, faith that when he speaks, there's some kind of new kingdom that's going to be built in my heart. Well, I talk about how the, like, scripture is valuable because of him. Yeah. Yeah, Because it reveals Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I I love what Rick Thompson says when he he says, you know, I've heard some people refer to the Bible as the fourth member member in a quadrinity, or I think that's what he said. You know, it's the, it's the fourth, the fourth expression of the Lord, um, which is, uh, sounds silly when you say it that way, um, but it also, if I'm being honest with you guys, um, I, a little alarm goes off in my heart when I hear that a little bit, because I'm like, oh, Scripture, don't, don't uh, talk bad about Scripture. It's, it's the Holy Word of God, you know? Um, but, you know, I always go back to that verse when, when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, and he says, you pour over the Scriptures, yet they testify about me. Um, so that's a whole paradigm shift that goes deeper than we think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roots of that um, assumption, at least for me, are very deep. Um, but that's something I'm always having to tell myself, you know. Do I? Because I, I love the word, you guys. I love scripture. I love digging into the to the confusing bits and um, looking at all the historical background and getting really academic about it. And that's really good, but if it's not unto encounter with the living God, um, then it's uh, not very useful or profitable to me. So, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. It kind of gives me a new perspective on that too, like especially like putting that into practice. Like um, I tried that during my quiet time, and I actually was able to like you know actually like for once actually like kind of rebuke those like uh, like um, invasive thoughts and just focus on hearing my word mm-hmm. and like have that moment of like I'm surrendered fully to you. Like what do you want for my life? And like, yeah. That's Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I think 
like yesterday I said that there are, there's a real thing called spiritual practices, yeah. right? And um, it doesn't make anything less spiritual to practice it. And I think hearing the voice of the Lord in prayer and in um, corporate times and in private times, um, with your example, I love that because it's like, okay, I'm going to just practice being still. I'm going to practice um, learning how to discern um, your will and your ways between mine um, and practice lordship. I remember when I was on my DTS in 2016 and I was crushing on Kirsten so hard. <laughs> like, you should see my journal from 2016. It, it looks like an eighth grade middle school girl's journal. Like, it's like and I, I remember I was just so, um, I think that season was the first time the Lord really established like this concept of lordship in my life um, because I actually wrote out in my journal and committed before the Lord to do like a legit surrendering um, of of um, us being together even as a potential thing um, and just kind of put my hopes in his hands. You know, how many times have, do we put our concerns in his hands, right? We're really good at that. I'm so concerned about this, Lord, like I trust you. But what about, I hope for this, Lord, I trust you. Um, and um, I learned that surrender is a practice and a habit. Um, surrender isn't a moment, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not something that we accomplish um, on one super awesome worship night at the beginning of DTS. Yeah. It's a practice that we do um, daily. Yeah. So Sorry. I actually had a question about that. Yeah. Because yesterday, you know, you talked about how, like, you pray it to God, but then you keep on bringing it up to God after you've already prayed it as if you said, oh, like, yeah. Your faith and prayer into it. Yeah. I guess, like, So your question is, like, is, that, is, that is it wrong to have to do it again? No, not have to do it oh. again, but just like make it like a daily practice of being like, like I'm giving this day to you, like help me. Mm -hmm. Like I want you to direct how my day goes, I guess. Yeah. So, so your question is, I'm, I'm trying to understand your question so I can answer yeah. it accurately. Your question is, is, is that kind of daily surrender mm -hmm. a bad thing? Yes. No. Um, and because I think that, uh, well, a very a, a less informed and, and biblical answer and a more experiential answer mm -hmm. would be that um, we're human beings yeah. and we're forgetful. And I think devoting allegiance to someone you're in covenant relationship with every day is something that moves God's heart. Um, because if I, you know, like, I mean, think about like a marriage relationship, you know, like um, to just, um, if, I, if I let my vows that I made to Kirsten um, be the only time I ever made any kind of commitment to her, one and done, 
the, the marriage probably would feel very confusing and empty. You see what I mean by that? Like, if the only time I affirmed my love for my wife or, or um, re, recounted my commitments to her mm-hmm. was on that wedding day when I made my vows and then they're never brought up again, mm-hmm. um, I think that would uh, be very strenuous on the relationship. And I think the same is with the Lord. Okay. Yeah. That's a good question, though. Yeah. Yeah. If you find, like, it's not meant to be a habit just to be a habit. But if, if you find, oh, my heart has wandered away from the Lord in uh-huh. I haven't been faithful in these ways. I haven't been obedient in these ways. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that daily, like, you can just come back to him in, in repentance as, as you need to, you know? And that's, yeah. 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 And we're going to continue today on, on this concept of lordship because... Um, as I've been exploring this, I've realized more and more that any attempt to recognize and obey God's voice in your life mm-hmm. really, really, really hinges on this. So I'm kind of making the middle of the week kind of uh, focused on this, this idea of lordship. Will you give us a definition of lordship? Um, a, a formal definition? No, but we'll, I guess we'll ex- explore it. Lordship, I guess... Maybe I can come up with one right now. Like, uh, is yesterday I said it's giving God an opportunity or permission to give you an alternative, and it's in its devotion. What I'm going to go into a little bit today is is the idea of oh nice, I I was going to pick it up, but you were you were swift. (laughs) Um, We're going to look at the idea of covenant and like covenant relationship and um, how that works. And how that applies to us in the Lord. So hopefully we'll have a, a good understanding of what it means. But I think in regards to prayer and hearing, hearing the word of the Lord is um, allowing God always to give, give you an alternative. Yeah. Um, so yesterday we were talking about assumptions. Um, in other words... Making decisions with God that are not submitted to his lordship. Making decisions um, based on things that you assume about God, mm-hmm. um, which is something we do all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, something that is actually um, highlighted for us in the Bible as an example of what not to do. We looked at Abram and Sarah, how there was a beautiful promise made to them about uh, their lineage and uh, the nations being born out of Abram and Sarah, and they thought it would be a good idea to have that happen through sleeping with the slave woman um, when that's not a, a specific commandment that they ever received, right? So they took the promise, made an assumption about how it was going to get done, and ended up creating a lot of hurt and heartbreak in the process. Um, and we're going to look at another example of that um, which I hope to illustrate the, I guess, the consequences of not making Yahweh Lord. Um, And also, I think this example will reveal his heart. Um, Because the example of Abram and Sarah also simultaneously serves as a warning and serves as an expression of God's heart for the the outcast, right? Hagar means the immigrant. uh, if somebody listening to this thinks that that's not true, I'd like to hear because 
any time I do something like that, I'm like, oh, I hope I'm right. <laughs> I read it. I read it in like three places, so I think it's true. Um, so we're going to look at another example of immigrants. Can somebody turn, well, let's all turn, actually, to Nehemiah chapter 13, 24 through 25. Nehemiah chapter 13, 24 through 25. We're talking about, just so we can keep the topic on the forefront of our minds, because I know we can get lost in the weeds sometimes. We're talking about decision-making... making with God without assumptions. Uh, Okay, so let's read it, and then I'll kind of unpack it and and, uh, give you some observations I made. Um, Actually, I'll I'll just go ahead and read it. Um, I'm going to start a little bit um, into, I think, Chapter uh, verse 24. Uh, So it says, And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke the language of various peoples. And I, that's Nehemiah, first person account, contended with them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. So let me explain this scene to you. The book of Nehemiah takes place in a time in Israel's history where they had just been under occupation by the Babylonian uh, Empire. So this is after the exile. So the Israelite people have just had their national identity eroded down by being under service of of a bigger national identity, right? Um, and the book of Nehemiah is so beautiful because it serves as just this like glimmer of hope of Israel getting permission to return to their homeland. Okay. So it's, it's the hope of the exiled people being uh, realized. Um, however, you begin to see a kind of paranoia arise in Nehemiah specifically about Remember, national identity was huge because they had just been under Babylonian siege. Okay, so, the, so, um, and the, the reason for their exile was probably um, they probably looked back on the sins of the people and were like, it was it was because we broke the law. We 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 married outside of Israel. So the idea of preserving the family line, preserving the genealogies, Israel only, this 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 was very big in Nehemiah. Um, and the reason I say that that is an assumption is because uh, in Leviticus 19:33-34, this is what God says. When a stranger resides with you in your land, you shall not wrong him. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Everybody go read what Nehemiah had done to the people who did not speak the language of Israel. It says, I contended them with them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair and I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons 
or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. It's pretty safe to say Nehemiah was operating out of a poor assumption about the nature of God, was he not? And in this time where the sentiment towards immigrants was uh, not very godly, um, Nehemiah is dealing really harshly with this. And my point in saying this is that God had already revealed his heart for the outsider, right? We know this from Hagar, the immigrant. And we know this from Leviticus. What was it? 1933 to 34. So there could have been in this, uh, this passage an example of, of such blessing. And if Nehemiah had taken the time to hear the word of the Lord revealed through previous revelation in Scripture, um, or I speculate if he would have prayed, he probably would have come to a different conclusion in this passage in Nehemiah. You guys see that? So I use this as a point in, in we're talking about decision-making and discernment. Um, decision-making and discernment should always be informed by what Jesus, what God has already revealed. Um, it should be squeezed through the grid of God's character, Okay? I'm not trying to bash on Nehemiah or really make a point on immigration or talk about Trump's wall or anything like that. <laughs> um, my point is to use these examples, these extreme examples in Scripture um, that God will never contradict himself. God will never contradict himself. Um, and both in the case of Sarah and Abram and in Nehemiah, these... Um, Assumptions and decisions outside of the character of God um, resulted in what? Needless violence. Needless violence and separation in relationship. So in our context, when it comes to hearing God's voice for people, and decision-making, it's important to cultivate a knowledge of the word, right? When we get a word of the Lord for somebody in a, in a Monday morning worship time or in any kind of circumstance where we feel like the Lord is saying something to us on behalf of another person, um, is it in line with what you know about God's heart for people? Um, seems like a pretty obvious uh, Question to ask, however, it is all over Scripture where those things are missed. Um, and I think we can miss them sometimes too. So um, always filter it through that grid of God's character. I've said this before, I think, in this teaching, but I just want to say this again. Hearing God's voice 
this whole phenomenon of hearing God's voice is not ever contradictory to Scripture. It's complementary to Scripture. Okay? Scripture is the best reference point we have for discernment. Is the best reference point we have for discernment. Because Scripture is the, the story of God's character revealed to us. I mean, where would we be in understanding of who God is without this, this revelation? We would be so confused about who God is. It would be like a game of telephone. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just such a gift and, and an anchor for our souls, an anchor for our lives to be able to, to practice discernment. Um, so we can add that to the list here in discernment. Um, know the word. And the natural consequence of knowing the word is knowing, knowing his character. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And there's, Scripture is not just like, it doesn't grant us this kind of um, vague, um, basic idea of God that says, oh, God's loving, and so if the decision is loving, then it's God. Um, That's a pretty shallow uh, application of this. There's, like in Nehemiah's case, there were specific commandments regarding a specific circumstance when it came to outsiders coming into the Israelite community that Nehemiah, um, I would propose. I feel like um, my interpretation of this um, is welcome to debate, but I would propose that Nehemiah missed, missed the mark on this one. Um, well, yeah. The thing is that, so he, he beats the Jews for taking foreign wives and having foreign kids and not raising them in the structure there were like easy laws to become an Israelite. Yeah, very easy. So they didn't, what happened is they didn't, they lived in both worlds. They didn't bring their wives and their children into the fold. They yes. instead straddled the line. That's an excellent point too, because there is an also a, and this is, this I think kind of points, points back to my point also, is that the Israelites were also missing a previous revelation that the Lord had given. Um, which is the format in which to make an outsider a citizen. Um, and they were, uh, you know, they were living a dual life, which does cause also strife and division. Any questions on that? You guys see, seeing what I'm saying there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about covenants. We, in our values and syllabus week, talked about covenants. Um, the, the whole, man. C O V E N A N T. My very first exposure to the word covenant was not from the Bible. 
It was from Halo 2. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you, Lord, for taking me into wisdom. Uh, yeah. Covenants are not a um, radical group of alien terrorists. They are promises between two parties. So let's talk about that. Um, lordship, I love using the whiteboard. It makes me feel so important. Um, an element of lordship, okay, on this topic still, comes with it loyalty. Loyally, loyalty. There's something about whiteboards that just erase all your ability to spell. Like, every time I'm using a whiteboard, I'm like, I can't spell anything. The world is your whiteboard. <laughs> I, uh, I, well, when I feel like I'm a good speller, it's probably because uh, the program I'm using is correcting it. Um, so covenants, um, I want to talk about like just kind of like the inner mechanisms of loyalty revealed in the Bible to talk about lordship. Um, there's a thing in Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's a little fun fact for you. The book of Deuteronomy is formatted exactly like a political treaty or covenant. Which means that it shares in format the same uh, structure that neighboring nations would have, would have formatted their like, agreements of political relationship. But instead, in Deuteronomy, it's between, what are the two political parties, quote, in, in Deuteronomy? God and the Israelites, okay? Um, so understanding the cultural mechanisms of loyalty and of covenant helps us understand how we ought to participate in lordship with God, in our hearing, in our knowing, this matters to us today, so let's look at it. Um, in uh, this format, um, it, was uh, it was common in to establish what, what is usually referred as a suzerain-vassal relationship, um, suzerain being ruler and vassal being provider. So think about, like, you got this big, uh, this big uh, papa nation that is, like, has a littler nation in, in their control, and that nation um, provides food or offering. It's like a bug's life. <laughs> it's like a bug. Okay, don't run away from this just right away. Okay? Suzerain. Bug's life. What is the suzerain? The grasshoppers. What is the vassal? The ants. Okay, so uh, that's the dynamic if you could sum it up, between uh, suzerain and vassal. Uh, relationship between new na two nations. Let's look into Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 3 through 6. Yahweh is established. This is an example in, uh, in Deuteronomy. Um, you, you, the whole book of Deuteronomy is an example of suzerain vassal language um, to establish lordship. Um, Exodus 20, 3 through 6. Yahweh is establishing the terms of the new covenant relationship that Israel is entering into. 
So in this treaty language, there's usually a, here's what I will provide for you. Here's what you will provide for me. And in the Yahweh-Israelite relationship covenant, God is providing abundantly more than what Israel is providing. And the only stipulation for Israel summed up is loyalty. Be loyal to me. You shall have no other gods before me. Be loyal to me. Um, So it's just really beautiful, you guys, how the Bible is taking this cultural understanding of what lordship means, right? This definition they had about lordship. And, And God is breathing new life into that, and he, all of the weight of the covenant is shifted on him. Any consequence in breaking the covenant is on him, um, which... We talked about that. Did you talk about that during Bible overview? Yeah. Oh, the Abrahamic covenant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how um, the idea is like, if this covenant is broken, then may the consequence lie on me, which ultimately it did on the cross. Um, So let's look at this example in Exodus. Terms of loyalty, terms of agreement. You shall have no other gods before me. So that's loyalty right there. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Character right there. It's God's character. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. We talked about that this morning. The generational curse that comes through Cain. But showing love to a thousand generations of people who love me and keep my commandments. Um, And here's the reward of love to a committed people. So here in this passage, the elements that we have are loyalty. Let's just write it right here. Do it this way, <laughs> Ellis. Loyalty because of his character. Okay, so you see how how the Lord is saying that his jealousy, his character, is one of the elements in this in this covenant um, that should act as a motivator, right? Um, and Showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments and reward. All right, reward of intimacy, because that's what that is. Okay. So here are these ingredients to this covenant relationship that all go to lordship. So here's, here's the beautiful thing that, that sets these things apart from a, anything else. According to Yahweh's definition of love, it is synonymous with obedience and devoted trust and commitment. Think about that for a second. Love is synonymous with devotion. So in our relationship with God and hearing from him 
we cannot separate moments of intimacy and, and sweet, warm fuzzies from devotion. And I'm not talking about works here. I'm talking about, I mean, the best example is a marriage covenant. I'm devoted to my wife. Um, and that is a clear, clear sign of my love. So intimacy and devotion go together. A lot of times we can think about this concept of lordship as something that's like not related to in any way um, to like the friendship of Jesus and the, and the um, intimacy that we can have with him in the secret place. But it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, devotion and intimacy. So in this conversation that we've been having, if we say we want to know the Lord, right, we want to hear, we want attentiveness, we want to know you, Jesus, um, we are also committing to this suzerain vassal dynamic. That's what we're committing to. We're entering into this covenant. Uh, Jesus kind of continues this thought in the New Testament. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How many, how many sermons have you heard about keeping and knowing Jesus' commandments? You've heard a lot? Yeah. I actually haven't. I, I feel like that idea of um, keeping commandments is scary because it sounds like works. Uh, but it's a sign of devotion, Right? It's a sign of devotion. And also, by the way, his commandments are good, and they're not, um, they're not this kind of life of melancholic foot-dragging and, 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 you know, oh, I'll follow you, Jesus, I'll drop my net, but now I have to stop watching this movie and then experience life with you and life abundance? Dang it. I can't watch Stranger Things anymore? Dang it. I'll never know what happens with Vecna. Dang it. I watch Stranger Things. <laughs> but you see what I mean? Sometimes we think about, oh, following commandments. Jesus is my master. Jesus is my Lord. What kind of shackles are those? What kind of bull shackles are they? <laughs> oh, on the podcast. Watch out. Um, but it's not. It's life and life abundantly. His commandments are good, right? They're, they're for our benefit. Um, entering into this covenant means that we're entering into this beautiful relationship with the providing. You know, think about like how, how a non-Israelite would think about it. This nation has gold and oil and abundance. And it's this land that they can provide for me. And on top of that, they love me. You know, it's that... And that's the difference between Yahweh's covenant. It's, it's, it's in this whole economy of love and relationship. So lordship is so important. It's, it's how, we ought to relate, how we ought to relate to the Lord, and it colors the whole way we hear him. It colors the whole way we hear him. Um, this is where I had that quote from Lauren Cunningham. I read it yesterday. Um, but he's talking about uh, having a yes immediately locked and loaded in your chamber right? It's just like, you know, you just, there's a yes in the chamber, and then as soon as the Lord speaks, it's like, yes, you just fire it off. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to spend time examining or loading up 
wondering what your answer will be. I really want to grow in this, you guys, like having this childlike trust and, and knowing that keeping his commandments is not this thing that, that I have to do. It's something that I get to do. Yeah. To have a childlike trust in the king. Um, I love the example uh, or the story of Lucy. Lucy is, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, is my favorite character in fiction. Hands down. You ask me again next week, the answer will change. But (laughs) right now, uh, she's my favorite character in fiction because of her love and reverence for Aslan. Right? She just captures this this hunger in my heart to interact with the Lord that way. She there's this scene, I can't remember in which book, it probably happens in multiple books, where there are scenes where Lucy's like um, recognizing and seeing the, the, the power of Aslan, right? The, the teeth and, and, and the size and the, the heat of his breath and this, this terrifying nature of this giant lion. Um, and yet she's welcomed to like bury her face in his mane, right? And there's just like this beautiful like um, understanding, childlike understanding of like, this is my Lord. Like, my master. This must be my master because of this power and this, honestly, fear that comes from, but there's a welcome to bury your face in the main. And that's just such this uh, beautiful imagery of trust mm-hmm. and lordship um, and how... Um, the expression of you are my Lord is manifest in, the, in burying your face in the mane, right? In, in, in the lion's mane. Um, and that's what we should be like with the Lord, right? We'd be like, Lord, you, you hold all things in your hand. You are all powerful. Um, you know, all the Psalms explore this idea. And I'm, I'm saying that you have my allegiance today and yesterday and tomorrow. And I will prove it to you um, don't get hung up on the word prove, but I'll prove it to you by showing you my affection. You see that? How affection is this evidence of allegiance? So your intimacy with Jesus and your uh, acknowledging of his lordship are wrapped up in the same phenomenon. Answer is yes. The answer is Yes. Back to this example of the disciples. I've been calling this segment of the teaching that we want to be those with no nets, right? Nothing to hold before Jesus as an excuse, as a just-in-case. The ones who drop their nets, like the disciples. So my question in this idea of lordship, um, we can just discuss this really quickly. Um, some questions to think about. Are there any unsurrendered areas in my life? Do I interact with the living God as my master, as my Lord? Um, And uh, are there any hopes for my well-being that are not surrendered to Jesus, right? Think about the nets, right? The idea of dropping the net. 
their very livelihood was woven into the fabric of those nets. My future, my, my job, my, um, my well-being, financial and personal and relational well-being is the net, right? You see that? And when Jesus said, follow me, they didn't drop it because of shock or surprise. They said that, wow, son of man is more dependable than these nets for my well-being. Son of man is more dependable than my net. Um, so this idea of surrender isn't a phenomenon of lack. It's gain. It's gain, it's gain, always. Um, how can I listen better as a, quote, vassal, uh, one who has submitted to Jesus' authority? How can we enter into this covenant deeply? Yeah, um, think about those questions. We'll take a break now. And uh, we'll be back in 15 minutes. So tell me if, what are, let's revisit these, these um, hopes and things that you are hoping to talk about and, and um, address. Um, let's revisit that and um, see if we can make space for that today. Um, so there were these th- three things. Is there, as we've been talking throughout the week, has there been anything else that has come up that you are curious about that you would like to address um, at any point? Do you feel like these um, these three things that we've put together at the beginning are? starting to make more sense to you as we move through this? Yeah. Really? Okay. That's really good. That's really good to hear because it was, it was kind of uh, off script to, to do that, and it's fun to just funnel all the content into, into your guys' goals. So um, we'll, keep, we'll keep coming back to that. I want to make sure these things are satisfactorily addressed uh, for you. Um, I have before you a picture of Jesus hugging somebody. And I like it. That's that's my dad. He's my brother. But right now, but right now we're talking about friendship. Okay, so that's my friend. The eldest brother of my second birth. The eldest brother of my second birth. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So let's talk about friendship. Um, I'm going to keep it on this thing. I would be uh, no teacher if I didn't quote Charles Spurgeon, I feel like. All the teachers I grew up (laughs) with always quote Mr. Spurgeon, so we'll start this segment with a Spurgeon quote. It's not on the slide, so I'm just going to read it. Uh, Solomon says he had found, quote, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, not in the haunts of his unbridled pleasures, nor in the wanderings of his unlimited resources, but in the pavilion of the Most High, the secret dwelling place of God in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, the friend of sinners. So we're going to talk about friendship. So we, we talked today and yesterday about lordship, right? And hopefully I was able to communicate to you that um, intimacy and lordship are not separate phenomenons, right? They're connected. So let's talk about friendship. So I'm trying to coat 
all of the ways that you approach and, and listen to him with a correct understanding of who Jesus is and who God is. Because that's, that's how we recognize the voice, right? we got to know who's speaking to us. And that uh, ties directly back into discernment. So understanding Jesus as Lord, understanding Jesus as friend, begins to help us clarify the way God speaks to us. No, I keep uh, habitually hitting the slides. Um, Okay, so here Charles Spurgeon is talking about how Solomon was exploring the idea that his greatest treasure was found in a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I love the way he says, uh, not in the haunts of his unbridled pleasures, nor in the wanderings of his unlimited resources. You guys know that King Solomon was the rich king. He was the guy who set up the, the, the second temple, and, or the, the temple, the first temple, and um, it, his kingdom was just marked by prosperity, marked by wealth. And he wrote uh, one of the most um, emo books in the whole Bible <laughs> called Ecclesiastes. And um, he explores this idea that um, his wisdom uh, was worthless without uh, this communion with God, um, which is very powerful. So I want to reveal to you that the blessing of friendship, okay, this, this, this beautiful gift that we have is uh, not only um, reserved for our immediate horizontal, I'll call it, um, environment. It is a, a gift that helps us relate to Jesus as well. Um, in other words, friendship is a gift that Christ fulfills, right? Like that's, it's not, friendship isn't just for us. It's not a relationship that is reserved, um, that we experience with each other only. We experience it with Jesus as well. Um, in the same commentary, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, um, he starts to go into how one of the biggest fears and, and points of pain in, in human existence is the whole idea of betrayal. Um, he's like, there's no greater sting than, than the betrayal of friendship. And um, so when we say that God fulfills this, this relationship of friendship, what that calls to mind and where our hope lies is his faithfulness, yeah. right? When we experience friendship um, together with fallen and finite people, we've all experienced this uh, betrayal in small ways and in very, very big ways. Um, and I don't know your stories, um, but I know that like there's even in friendships that you treasure and that you take care of, there's these little moments of unfaithfulness, right, that we experience. And that's a, that's a great ache that, that we all experience. But Jesus is the faithful friend. His faithfulness is the very thing we rely on when we say he's our friend. Um, and his faithfulness is uh, an attribute in his speaking. When he speaks to us, he's being faithful to his nature. He is um, always faithful to do what he says, 
and he's faithful to never leave us. Um, I'm not kidding you. Every single time I watch The Return of the King, I tear up on the part where Sam says, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And he lifts him up and carries him up the mountain. Have you guys seen Lord of the Rings? No. Okay, well... (laughs) Homework. Yeah, watch the Richard, watch the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So it's just this amazing scene where Frodo and Sam, the two main characters, I'm, I guess I'm just talking to you now. <laughs> um, and uh, Frodo has this burden to and, and responsibility to carry the ring up to Mount Doom so he could destroy it. And it's weighing on him like, spiritually and, and the magic, the dark magic is like, is messing with him and exhausting him. And his companion, Sam, just in this moment of like exhaustion, his companion, his faithful friend, right? Uh, just just the, like yells out, he's like, I can't carry the ring because it's, you know, it's your responsibility, but I can carry you. And he lifts Frodo up entirely and carries him up the mountain. Um, I guess I just spoiled like the biggest no. moment in the it's in the movie. Like years old, so. It's like a hundred years old. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I just think that's such a good example of like faithfulness, right? That's and and I think in even in media and in fiction, we're so attracted to stories like that. We're so so attracted to somebody who's just like resolute in their faithfulness, you know. Um, you can like any man is like I just wept like a baby watching Band of Brothers, I you know or like I was talking to my um my papa once he's like this cowboy man, he's got so many guns, so many guns, and um he uh was talking to me about this movie he watched and it was about um is a movie called Hacksaw Ridge, and it's about this um, Christian pacifist who is basically commits this whole wartime experience that he has to not um, engaging in battle, but just rescuing wounded people off the battlefield because he's a pacifist. So his whole thing is he just storms into the fray of it and, and drags people out. And there's just something so primal about responding to faithfulness like that, like just this rescuing friend um, that I think we're all inherently, we carry, right? Because we crave faithfulness. We crave um, a relationship that is not threatened by any, any um, unfaithfulness, right? And that's who Jesus is to us. He's faithful. We crave it. Um, God's character as a faithful friend is really crucial in us understanding who he is and how he speaks, um, even how we approach him. So with lordship, we learn how to approach him and how to listen to him. With friendship, we learn how to approach him and how to listen to him as well. Um, so, like, if we desire to hear or we want correction or input from God, right, in order to clarify our relationship with him, um, we need to understand him as friend. Um, in the same way that we can't really hope to obey if we haven't made him lord. You see that? If we want to walk in obedience and in perfect harmony with the lover of our souls and the one who knows what's best for us, um, wouldn't you want to 
um, maintain proximity with him as a friend. Always, right, step by step. If you, if you didn't understand him as friend, this is a legit shift in heart posture. Like if you didn't understand him as friend or desire to approach him as friend, then he would be um, like a monthly visit to the DMV or something to you in your relationship with him. I don't know. I don't, I don't visit the DMV that often, but like, you know, some kind of annual routine check. But French, friends, you want to be with them all the time, mm-hmm. right? Friendship means I'm inviting you into my life and to, to experience the mess that is me and the faithfulness that is you, you know? And I mean, how many times have you been, like, you, you, you make a new friend? And this is probably very familiar to you because we just entered into a new community. You make a new friend, and you really like this person. You're like, whoa, like, they're like, they like all the same stuff as, as I do. They like playing Beyblades with me, you know, like, yeah. let's play Beyblade. And, and um, then a few months in, you're like, oh, like, their laugh is really weird. Like, I don't like, or like, they have this weird thing. Um, and I used, to, I used to wonder when I was a kid, I was like, why does that happen? It's like, it's like when the gum loses its flavor, you know? Um, I'm like, why, does that, why, do, why aren't they cool to me anymore? Like, um, and I realized, I'm like, that's actually like a deep, deep knowing. Like, that's when you're entering into, whenever that happens with, this is kind of a pessimistic view of it, but I'm sure you guys can all understand what I'm getting at. Like, when that happens, I'm like, oh, okay, this is where the real relationship begins. This is when, when the novelty of like a new friendship wears off, this is where the real faithfulness and friendship begins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to cultivate that kind of thing with Jesus. Not that I go, oh, Jesus, like your laugh is weird. Like, or, you know, like that's, that's not what I'm getting at. But like um, the time and proximity with a friend are what enhance the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So why do we think we can get away with not doing that with Christ? Right? I want intimacy with you every Sunday. Like, if I did that with my wife, it would just be ridiculous. Like, friendship means consistent walking with proximity. And the more we do that, the more we hear him speak because he's close to us, right? We can't cry out for intimacy and ignore friendship. As Jesus grows and as we grow in friendship with Jesus, um, I like, I love the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Um, my favorite lyric in that, it says, Thou my best thought. Thou my best thought. My prayer is that we can, we can actually get there. Like, when, when there's a friend that you treasure so much and you, you desire to, to hang out, spend time with them every Friday. Every, every, we got this thing that we're doing all the time. Um, Jesus, you're my best thought. I want to be with you all the time. Um, that really, really, really comes against idolatry, by the way, in your heart. Um, when you make Christ your best thought, it's very hard to have any other kind of allegiances. Um, so his faithfulness, his faithfulness, um, removes idolatry from our heart when we meditate on his faithfulness. And we also want to welcome his input. Right? We're talking about recognizing the voice. If we're 
engaging in these ingredients of friendship, proximity, um, and this always welcoming and always approaching, there's always going to be input from our friend and, and therefore more opportunities to obey. Friend and Lord. Um, I just want this to exist outside of our times of intercession and worship. Right? I mean, I'm a, I confess to you, like, I'm not very good at this. Like, I think a lot of the times I'm, the things I'm most passionate about are the things I'm most in deficit of, to tell you the truth. Because I, I've been, and I, I've been discovering the joy of this this year, you guys. Like, when I have an hour or, you know, any kind of time set aside to just being mindful of Christ. Mm-hmm. Being mindful of Christ outside, especially when you're in a program like DTS. Um, I don't want it to be only a program, right? That's not our, that's not our heart. Um, but when your only interaction with the thought even of Christ is in scheduled times, then our relationship becomes very shallow with him, okay? There's huge fruit available to you when you are up with him in the night, right? He's like, can you not wait up with me one hour um, when he's talking to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion? He's, he's asking for this devotion as a friend. And, you know, one of my friends, he does this thing that I love where he... He has these little, like, it doesn't matter what we're doing. He has these little, like, firework moments of worship. Like, it, we're, we're walking through the day, and he'll just take a sip of coffee, and he's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Whoa, you're so good. Poof. And then he just moves on, you know? Like, and it's just, like, these awesome little, like, these, like, moments of, of affection. And I'm like, that's what friendship with Jesus looks like. Friendship with Jesus looks like my best thought every minute, every moment having momentary attentiveness, right? In every moment, how am I worshiping him? How am I being mindful of him? And that's what cultivates friendship. I heard a story once of, uh, Nate was telling me this. There was uh, this staff um, on a DTS who had uh, maybe like three one-on-ones in like a small group. And uh, he began to notice that um, these uh, girls were laughing and doing the same kind of little mannerisms as as their one-on-one was. And... um, Nate comes up to them and he goes, he goes, you guys are being discipled by so-and-so, aren't you? And they're like, how did you know? You know, like, what? You can, I perceive you're a prophet. You know, like, how'd you know that? And he's like, well, you're doing the same, you're saying the same jokes and doing the same thing. Um, and have you ever noticed that happen in your life when you're like with a group? All of a sudden your laugh sounds like them and you start doing the same stupid voice. You'll notice very quickly, Amelia, Kirsten, and I, will occasionally slip in to the most absurd, like, 
voice that is uh, kind of hard to explain, but it's just, you'll be like, oh, they, that's, that's that friend group's sense of humor, right? And it's contagious. This friendship and the actual personality traits will get passed on and spread in the group. So what happens when we say, Lord, make me more like you, but we don't really bother to make him our friend? We're not going to adopt the same uh, sense of compassion that he has. We're not going to adopt the same missional heart that he has. We're not going to adopt the heart for the broken that he has because we're not making him friend. We want contagious friendship. God spoke to Moses face to face as with a friend, it says in Exodus, um, which, like we said before on the first day, is this phenomenon of indisputable clarity, right? So friendship is another element of the unveiling of God's character. Mutual trust, right? As with a friend means almost offensively as peers, um, as with mutual trust. And let's go into this uh, scripture that explores this. Face-to-face as a friend, which means mutual trust. Let's look at what Jesus said um, in John chapter 15, 14 through 15. So let's go there together in our B-I-B-L-E's. Just John? Yeah, not first John, not second John, not third or fourth or fifth. The OG John. So John, numberless John, is um, the gospel of John. So it's, it's his account of the ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And first and second John uh, are um, epistles, which means just letters that he wrote. So the reason that you see first Corinthians or second Corinthians, it's the first letter to the Corinthians. And also, oh, Paul wrote another letter. So we'll call that. Second Corinthians. So same same as First Timothy, Second Timothy, First John, Second John. John is the author. The one is the first letter he wrote. The two is the second letter he wrote. So on. What about the third one? Huh? The third one, the third letter. Yes, <laughs> it carries through. You said John thirteen what? Uh, John 15. 15, 14 through fifteen. This is Jesus speaking. It says, you are my friends. If you do, are you in the wrong spot? As soon as I started reading, here you go, whoop. <laughs> yeah, no, he says, you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, so let's read that again, and I'll make some observations here. You are my friends if you do what I command. That's what in the inductive method and using an observational tool provided to me from that school is uh, that's what you just call a conditional statement. 
right? You are my friends if you do what I command. Um, I think our uh, culture and our usual church communities, at least for me, conditional statements are, we don't like those. Yeah. Right? Oh, grace. You know, that's not grace-filled. Yeah, well, Jesus said it, so we need to, <laughs> we need to uh, understand what that is. You are my friends if you do what I command. Remember we talked about um, obeying commandments is, a, is, is a evidence of our affection for him, right? And James goes into that. In the book of James, he talks about um, how um, we're supposed to do good works from a, a, a position of righteousness and um, uh, not in order to attain righteousness, right? Um, you are my friends if you do what I command. That's a, there's a conditional statement. Uh, I no longer call you servants because, so here's he's going to explain why, because a servant does not know his master's business. So the condition is based on knowing the Father. You see that? So the reason that Jesus is saying that he no longer calls, I think he's talking to the disciples right now, um, which I think is appropriate to translate to uh, any follower of Jesus, okay? So if you follow Jesus, I believe this applies. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. So the conditional statement of being a friend means that you are included and more spectacularly invited into the father's business. Invited into the father's business. Condition, this conditional statement hinders and it, it hinges, not hinders, hinges on the idea of knowing the Father. Knowing the Father's business. Remember we talked about knowing his ways, right? So knowing his ways, having his ways revealed to us, knowing the Father produces joyful friendship with us and Jesus. You guys tracking with that so far? Yes. I'll say this, obedience and doing his commandments is always rooted in intimacy. Always rooted in intimacy, right? A servant obeys because he's obligated. A friend obeys because he knows the context of the father's business. A friend obeys Jesus because he knows his character. You see the difference? There's a difference there. It's not obligation, it's joy. Joyful obedience. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. That's actually pretty insane. For everything that I, Jesus, learned from my Father I have made known to you. So, going back to this idea of mutual trust, if we want to obey and hear God's voice and discern and, and practice discernment, we need to know the Father like Jesus did and study what Jesus said, I have made known to you, um, and step into that friendship relationship um, and discover that Jesus is not um, in the business of gathering little acolytes and little servants, right? When we're talking about lordship and obeying um, and hearing his voice and YWAM, you guys, are 
so much joyful inheritance, so much joyful obedience has come from hearing the word of the Lord and obeying. And that's what it looks like to be a friend of Christ, is hearing the word of the Lord and obeying. Because we know the master's business. We're welcomed, called into, the veil has been removed, and we can know the Father's business. It's so good. I got you. So we see in this passage, it's so cool, because Jesus is saying that friendship is enabling. It's an empowering dynamic. That friendship is... is, um, more than just uh, a, a word to prompt like warm fuzzies in us, but it's actually something that says, friends do what Jesus commands because they know the context and they know what the master is, is up to. A servant is not welcomed into the larger context of household management, right? A servant, just do it, right? Not permitted vision. Servant is not permitted vision. A friend does not mean passive or not obedient. So this is what Jesus is getting at, and this is where I think we can get tripped up, is when I'm talking about friendship with Jesus, we have all this, you know, we've, we've laid out the fact that, oh, Jesus, you're my best thought, I'm, I'm spending all this time with you, um, and we're becoming more and more alike. At a certain point, that's got to break out and become obedience, and you see what I mean? It can't just live in that secret place. It, it, it's going to burst out of the walls and spill into doing what he commands, right? So friendship doesn't mean passive or not obedient, right? Jesus says that in John. Do what I command. It's an enabling phenomenon. We're enabled by a knowledge of the master's business, He's kind of taking the, um, what are those called when people have like heart attacks? And just clear paddles. Huh? Defibrillator. Yeah, he's just like using that and just like supercharging us with the knowledge of the master's business. And all of a sudden we're like, like ready to obey, ready to to spill out blessing um, wherever we go. So we're not, you guys, we're not, like, obedience out of a place of slavery is exhausting. Is, is exhausting, and it doesn't last. Remember when I say wonder endures? Friendship endures because we're welcomed into the master's business. This is such good news, you guys. Supercharged with knowledge, with context of the master. Friendship with the master. Uh, here's the other thing. He wants, and I've said this before, he wants his will to be made known. God is not interested as the master in withholding his intentions for the kingdom. Right? The mystery of this whole redemptive story is that we are not only welcomed in as participators, but we're given a legit role and is birthed out of this idea of friendship, a legit role. He wants his will to be known. Uh, in Lord of the Rings again, 
uh, Gandalf is educating Frodo on the way the ring is. And he's almost, it's so creepy. He's talking about how the ring is almost like sentient. He goes, he goes, it calls to its master, and then he leans in close and he goes, it wants to be found. Right, he's trying to hide it from the bad guys. Um, I think of that every time I'm like, you guys, the Lord wants his will to be known. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it's in his very nature to welcome, to delegate, to, to um, bring us into friendship and be like, here's what our household is about. You ready to work on that? And the, what this has to do with hearing the voice is because he, I'm trying to communicate to you an anticipation that he will speak, right? If we're in the household and we know the master's business, then he's going to speak to us so that we can enact the master's business. I can put it this way. I wrote it down this way. God will speak and the Father will reveal his will because the trajectory of his kingdom and our joyful co-reigning of it is dependent on it. The trajectory of his kingdom is dependent on him speaking to us. Don't get tripped up on dependent. You know, well, God doesn't need anything. I don't know, probably, but he uses us anyways, so he'll speak. You see where I'm getting at with that? The relational, so there's like this territory of lordship, right? It's like this little, this little ecosystem, this little um, uh, character trait that we need to cultivate in our, in our relationship with him. Lordship, we talked about that. Now this new relational territory of friendship has been determined by Christ in John 15 to be the most effective tool for obedience, right? Honestly, when we say, when we said this at the beginning, we want to hear. To what end do we want to hear? To obey, right? What's hearing without obedience? I don't know. Disobedience? <laughs> you see that? Every time he speaks, there's an invitation, invitation to engage with the new. Remember that idea of apocalypse. Every time he speaks... There's a new opportunity, fertile soil, to participate with the kingdom in a way that we weren't before. So him speaking is always inviting obedience. And the relational territory of friendship has been determined by Christ to be the most effective tool for that. It's like the, it's like the, the magic silver bullet for obedience. I no longer call you servants, but friends. That's motivating. That's a, that makes me want to obey. When Jesus speaks to us, anytime we're in a prayer time or in a, in a secret place, you know, kind of personal time, which I highly encourage, by the way, you guys, this is something that, that um, will bring so much fruit to your walk with Jesus, is um, scheduling out rigidly, blocking out time to quiet your soul, sit before him and be still and know that he is God and let his affection just fall over you, okay? It will alter your perspective of reality outside of those moments, okay? When Jesus speaks to us, when those moments happen, 
keep this verse in John 15 in mind, you know. Keep when he says, you are my friends. You are my friends. He sees you as a friend. And he is clarifying, okay, back to this theme. He's clarifying the terms even further with the gift of friendship. So we begin this whole biblical narrative, the beginning of human beings and God interacting. Is God speaking, clarifying, unveiling his nature, right? And it's, it's happening here with Jesus. And the dial, you know, the little camera lens that's aimed at the, at the glory of God, when Jesus says, friendship, turns another notch. We see God even clearer. And we see ourselves even better. And then we see the reality around us even better. And, and uh, let's do a little thought experiment here for a second, too. When we imagine the disciples with Jesus, when we imagine the disciples with Jesus, do we really think that they weren't, like, laughing by fireside? Do we really think that they didn't have inside jokes with each other? Right? When Jesus stubs his toe, he goes, son of man. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, that's you. <laughs> I think in this moment, in this conversation about friendship, um, it would be very beneficial to us to dismantle this cold, echoey, churchyard understanding of Jesus and introduce a little dose of reality into our relationship with Jesus. Friendship. It means what you think it means. It means what you think it means. I'm not talking about a uh, different um, version of friendship. When I say friendship with Jesus, I'm, it means what you think it means, because you've experienced it. And... Jesus is saying to you that this is a vital ingredient in your Christian walk um, and and, in hearing him, okay? I want us to be able to work on um, coming to him with warmth and familiarity and passion and boldly knowing that he is your friend. Paul says, um, approach the throne of grace with like boldly, you know, come before him boldly. Um, and this doesn't dismiss the whole concept of lordship either, right? Think of that idea of Lucy in Narnia. It kind of captures these two things at once. They coexist. Um, so I actually wasn't planning on doing this, but I would really love to do it. Um, I want you to go outside or inside or some, somewhere private and ask God to tell you a joke. Okay? And uh, come back and we'll have a laugh with Yahweh uh, because he is joy, man. He is, he's our friend. And, and that, like I said before, it means what you think it means. You know, we laugh with our friends. Um, so go make him your best thought real fast and let him, let him tell you a joke. Come back. How long? Um, ten minutes. Ten minutes? Yeah. 
Okay, so let's have a uh, sharing moment of uh, <laughs> what was the joke that you heard God say. Come on. Go. Well, I see this is kind of a struggle. And it's that anthemic thinking of the weird that's not really making sense. Yeah. When I was walking in here, I'm like, yeah, you got a joke for me to share? And so he's like, ask me why I made pine cones. <laughs> why did you make pine cones? So pineapples wouldn't feel lonely. <laughs> <laughs> so pineapples wouldn't feel lonely? <laughs> that's so good. Dude, that's so funny. One of, the, one of the things I love about this exercise is like, it really challenges our, our um, remember when I said dismantle your, your cold churchyard relationship with Jesus? And I'm not saying remove fear of the Lord, remove reverence, but I'm saying um, these kinds of exercises um, really promote um, this just invitation to approach and to, to, to be in his midst always. Um, and just the fact that he speaks at our level, you know, talks to us. Um, okay, what else? Did you, did you get anything, Jordan? You didn't hear anything? Okay. What about you, Bailey? I kept hearing, like, one more like, yeah. I don't know why every, I'm not joking you, every single DTS that I've been a part of that we've done this exercise, the Lord, if they, I don't know if this will boost your faith or not, but like, if they're always dad jokes. <laughs> they're always dad jokes. And I'm like, God, why can't you give me like a cool like, I don't know, like witty joke, but they are witty, I guess, but it's really funny. Well, okay, let me share with you my experience with this when, uh, when uh, I was in my DTS. Um, Joy, who usually teaches this in, in our DTSs, um, asked this question of us, and I went outside. And this question, to be honest with you, kind of offended me. The idea of God telling me a joke offended me because I did not think that I could in, um, interact with God that way. And the reason was is because he's God, and he doesn't bother with stuff like that. But remember, I mean, think about the incarnation, right? Jesus was a, a human man who spent time with his disciples, and he, Hebrews 1.3 says he's the exact expression of God's nature, okay? So this kind of um, friendship interaction is... Um, reflective of God's, of God's character. Um, but I didn't really understand that, so it was very difficult for me. Uh, and uh, that's okay. You know, if it's okay if it's difficult. Um, but uh, I think this, this territory of friendship is really good for us to, to explore, to wrestle through. Anyway, my story. I went outside. I was kind of upset. I was on my hammock. And... Uh, 
I was like, I don't like this idea. I, it feels really strange to me. And then I was like, kind of in a mocking tone, was like, okay, God, what do you want to, what do you want to say like that? And um, you guys ever see SpongeBob? Okay, there's an episode of SpongeBob where they get lost in the kelp forest. And SpongeBob and Patrick have this magic conch. <laughs> and when they are trying to navigate their way out of the kelp forest, they keep referring to the magic conch for guidance. And it's just this like scripted nonsense stuff. They're like, what should we do? And it's like, nothing. You know? And they're like, the conch has spoken. And then they sit down and do nothing. And meanwhile, Squidward's like really upset because it seems very unwise to him and very foolish. And so when I, and I haven't seen or watched SpongeBob since I was like a child, you know, and this was on my DTS, so it was a long time. And I said, hey God, what do you want to tell me? And then immediately, like I had like this vision of that in my head. I just thought of, you know, nothing. So I asked him, what do you want to say? And the Lord said, mocking me right back, right? Nothing. I won't say anything to you. And uh, to me, this was just this really hilarious um, moment, like right into the depth of my, of my understanding of that moment. Because to me, actually, the whole idea of um, asking God to tell me a joke or even asking God to speak to me in that moment was... I felt like Squidward in that moment. It felt like everybody around me was just like pulling the, pulling the string on the magic conch. And, and just, and I'm like, how are you coming up with that? Like, you just pulled the string and now you're doing it, you know? And that moment was uh, very confirming to me. I was like, whoa, this is kind of legit actually. Like, my father is speaking to me. And, and he's using the very point of my frustration to do it. You see that? Uh, so man, it was so it was so funny. Another one of my favorite moments with this exercise was one time somebody came and uh, they're like, "God actually told me a knock knock joke," and and I was like, "Okay, I can't wait to hear this." And uh, the guy goes, "Okay, the Lord said knock knock," and I said, "Who's there?" And he said, "I am." Nice. I, love that. <laughs> I, am. I am that I am. It's so good. So. I hope that was an informative and uh, challenging experience for you. Um, let's see, what's this slide about? Oh yes, I, this is something I said before, so this is a little bit of a summary. So God speaking as a friend, uh, we can expect him to do it. In summary, we can expect him to do it because the trajectory of his kingdom is dependent on it. Somehow, some way, he wants us to enter into this divine friendship with him and co-reign and manifest this kingdom um, as we move forward with him as our Lord and friend. Uh, it's the, the greatest joy and mystery of this whole experience. Um, so friendship is very important. Um, and uh, I changed the exercise to a joke, which I thought was more fun. Um, so here's a summary of this. Friendship is the best soil for doing what he commands. Free from bondage, right? We don't want those shackles of uh, servitude um, in the way, in the context that uh, Jesus is talking about it. Uh, 
Um, we are welcomed into the big picture, right? We, ha we have been welcomed into the master's business. Um, the ingredients of friendship are shared experience and familiarity, and we want to cultivate that with Jesus in the way that we hear him. Okay, so before we move on, I want to give you guys opportunities to comments, questions, concerns, feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, isn't that isn't that like it's such a joy like to to go back to that idea of like God's ways are not mysterious, right? There there's the joy of knowing the Father's business, what's been revealed to us through Christ and what's been revealed to us as he speaks and as he guides us into godly living is is all every time that happens anytime you guys you you get some impression in prayer or or are practicing hearing god's voice you're practicing discerning those are all moments of unveiling yeah. and anytime god's glory is unveiled to us there's always transformation it's always transformation and sanctification. Like, so anytime his beauty is revealed to us, boom, the veil's removed. We see and catch a glimpse of his glory. Um, we're transformed. So yeah, I love that you connected it to the school theme. That's so cool. Um, so good. Any, any, any other comments? From everyone else? <laughs> All two of you? <laughs> Yeah, it is, uh, I think, a huge foundational piece to hearing him is knowing why he speaks. Why would he speak? And that's the reason friendship, relationship, and kingdom-building stuff, man. Graham, you got anything? I think the friendship and intimacy part is something I kind of overlook a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes really difficult to reconcile those two things yeah. together because they seem so so polar opposite, right? My lord or, or, or king or commander in chief, you're you're like, I don't hang out in and uh, you know on on after hours hang out with the king, 
right? You know, I just do what he says, but like, this is the, the role that transcends our human understanding that God, God is both. And uh, yeah, these are just things to practice, things to, to work on in the way that we know him. That's cool. I mean, it's cool that you recognize that, you know, that you recognize, that, oh, I've never engaged with him that way before. Um, yeah, so these two things, that's, that's, that's a great segue. How do these, these two things coexist? I think the best way to talk about how they coexist is in the illustration of the shepherd. Okay, so I would call this the merging of lordship and friendship. Um, I would like to read to you a quote from Joy Dawson. Um, you might have seen her name on some of your intercession uh, instructions and also heard her name talked about a lot. She um, was such a beloved voice in Youthless Mission and recently passed away. Um, she was just so in love with the Lord and educated so many of us and blessed us. But here's this quote she has on, on sheep. <laughs> Sheep are simple and uncomplicated. Those who remain childlike and trusting, believing that it's primarily the shepherd's responsibility to make the signals clear enough, will keep their eyes on the shepherd, hear his voice, and go in the right direction without a lot of stress. I love the way she put that. It's very, it's very simple and straightforward. Uncomplicated and childlike and trusting, believing that it's primarily the shepherd's responsibility to make the signals clear. Um, so the unity of Lord and friend, how does this happen in, in the imagery of shepherd? I mean, what's the, I mean, shout out some like, even like uninformed by, by like what we're going to talk about, just on, by instinct, what are some imageries or elements of imagery that come up when you think about shepherd? I mean, just think of a shepherd. What do you think of? Oh, yeah. Do they actually do that? Yeah, in older cultures, they, like, each shepherd would have like, a certain song they'd sing. And she would recognize that song and they'd recognize the shepherd's voice. You should teach this. You should teach this segment. That's, that's so much better than anything I have right here. <laughs> that's yeah, that's it, man. Shepherds sing so that the, the sheep recognize. Mm. Let's just sit in that for a second. I'm serious. Close your eyes. I'm serious. <laughs> yes. Amen. That's so good. Um, what else? Shepherd. I think of a staff. A staff? Yeah. What kind of staff? This is the curly one? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Curly staff. What else? Yeah. Yeah, they're mighty warriors for their sheep. Yeah, this all this is so good. Think of like he guides, but you think of guidance like they correct the sheep to go in the right direction. Like that's what they yeah. And I'm unpacking that a little bit. What is that chaotic to you? Is it like, yeah, 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 when you think about it? Because I don't. Think about it, yeah. So when I think about it, it's. It's usually just like a tap. Yeah, it's just what they tap. do. Yeah. 
more of like a childlikeness of the sheep. So like yeah. there's a need yeah. for that. Like yeah. if the little sheep wanders off because he just didn't know. Yeah. And the shepherd's like, come back. Yeah. This is such a cute like thing to think about. Like it's just like um, sheep are so dumb. Like <laughs> Like, sheep are so dumb. Like, have you seen those videos in, on YouTube where there's a sheep with his head caught in, the, in like, the gate? And then the shepherd guy comes up and, like, frees him and pulls him out. And then the sheep just, like, falls down the whole, like, so far down the mountain. And the guy, the guy that pulled him out is like, wow. Like, I just pulled you out of this fence, and now you're falling down into this, like, Crevasse, yeah. And it's just, it's just really funny to think about. It's really funny. You should have had that video. I should have loaded that video up. It's so funny. Um, but it's crazy how the art of shepherding hasn't really changed all that much um, between Jesus' day and our day. Like, all of the imagery and the connotations that we're coming up with are probably like what they thought of also when we explore this in the, in the Bible. And um, this, I love this imagery of the shepherd because it's like, okay, you have this idea of the staff. Staff. According to the two topics we've been addressing, what is that? What is, that? is the staff lordship or friendship? Lordship. lordship. Um, okay, the day is over and, um, and the shepherd is petting the wool of the sheep. Was that lordship or friendship? Both occur. Both occur in the shepherd's role, right? Um, There's a gentle guiding. Um, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? Um, So this is the merging of lord and friend in the imagery of the shepherd. A shepherd leads and a shepherd loves. Shepherd leads and a shepherd loves. Um, John 10, 4 through 5 says, The sheep recognize his voice, and they will, never, they will never follow a stranger. So that goes back to what Graham pointed out. The shepherds are actually developing singing to their flock so that the sheep recognize the voice of the master. And that's what we're aiming to do in this week. What does God's singing voice sound like? It doesn't sound like synth pads. It doesn't sound like Corey Asbury or something. <laughs> uh, man, it sounds, like, it sounds like a Lord. It sounds like a friend. It sounds like um, a creator. It sounds like the word made flesh, right? All the things we've been talking about. Recognize his voice, and they will never follow a stranger. Um, so we want to follow Jesus, right? That's what we want to know God, and we want to make him known. We want to be people who say, Lord, I'll follow you. I've dropped my nets. In order to do that, God like the shepherd, will sing over us so that we can know what his voice sounds like, okay? This is in the Bible. It's not my idea. How well we know God determines our ability to recognize when he speaks. This is everything I've been getting at. How well we know God determines our ability to recognize when he speaks. You might have been wondering, why are we talking about, like, I wanted to... Um, you ever see those YouTube thumbnails where it's like, where it's like, lose 30 pounds in five minutes, 
and it's like this like yellow text, and the guy's going, right? Have you seen those? The, the guy's always making that face. <laughs> and he's pointing at the yellow text, and there's like a giant yellow arrow. Well, anything, anything, like, it's like, it's like, how to, how to beat Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild in five minutes. Oh, yeah. And it's always that. Um, that's not what this week is about, right? How to hear God's voice in five minutes. And here's all the, the tip number one, you know, how well we know God determines our ability to recognize when he speaks. So I'm trying to stir up your spirits to want to know God, the thing itself. The person himself, <clears throat> the God beyond the temple and beyond the mountain. So back to the sheep idea. Um, we talked about this. Sheep are very dumb. They're very big dum-dums and very stupid dum-dums. <laughs> uh, and these, these YouTube videos are so illuminating on what it's like to be in the hands of Christ. It's like you see these shepherds taking care of them, and they're like, oh, sheep, what are you doing? And um, they guide them back to, to places of safety. Um, and I'm not saying that we need to um, be dumb in order to hear God's voice or like empty our reason or just be dumb dumbed. But sometimes I think this metaphor takes us into places <clears throat> where we consider our knowledge versus God's knowledge, right? And, it, and we're like, oh, yeah, we are sheep, but that's okay. Like, um, God also says, come, let us reason together. So we'll see where that leads us. Um, but what, here's what I'm saying. The very nature of sheep is dependence. Dependence on the shepherd. I depend on the shepherd. Um, and that is a beautiful place to be and a beautiful place that we should never want to leave and we never should leave. Is the goal of our sanctification to finally be able to make decisions on our own? Like, I've been sanctified. I don't need you, Lord. No, yeah. Being in this position is beautiful in its life. Did you know that um, there are agents I think, I don't know if it's FBI or CIA or DTS or whatever, but um, there are agents who are, whose job it is to um, recognize counterfeit money. And in their training to study counterfeit money, they study the real money. So they spend all their time knowing what the real currency looks like in order to detect the fake. So let's keep that in mind. Let's read, the sheep recognize his voice. They will never follow a stranger. The agents recognize the true dollar, dollar bill. They will never accept a fake. You see that? Yeah. How well we know God determines our ability to recognize when he speaks. So when we say, God, I want to hear you speak, I just can't. Sometimes it's really hard to hear you speaking. Well, when's, you know, are we cultivating our friendship with him often? Are we, are we, when's the last time you had a quiet time? When's the last time you were in scripture, right? We need to, and this isn't like, you, know, you should do better, you should do better kind of thing, but we need to cultivate this knowing, 
Knowing God so that we can make him known. Knowing the real thing. The more we hear from God and understand his voice through prayer, through scripture, which I've been hitting on hard, um, and devotion, the easier it is to detect the false voices. So yet another notch on the discernment goal. How do we discern false voices? How do we discern false voices? Yeah, knowing, knowing the real thing, like knowing God himself. Yeah, I guess we're kind of, it's everything. But, but uh, specifically in regards to false voices, the counterfeit. Is it Jesus flavored? There we go. You guys tracking with that? So... When you read that, uh, when you read the story of Jesus uh, forgiving the adulterous woman, and all of the all of the um, people are about to drop their stones, and he says, "Go and sin no more." And then you you just finished your quiet time, and you read that, right? And you're really struck with that. You're like, "Wow, Jesus is so merciful." And then. Um, Later in that day, you, commit, you slip up in some way. You commit some sort of hardcore sin, or, and um, you are praying, and you, you start to feel condemnation, and you start to feel um, like there are stones aimed at you, right? Is that Jesus? No. And how do you know that? Yeah, he, because you are knowing the true voice, the true shepherd's voice. Um, and you can apply that to, to a lot of different areas. Um, so the enemy, when he influences our thoughts, will always accuse, okay? So Satan, Satan, means the adversary, the accuser, okay? So anytime you're experiencing accusation, and um, and spiraling in that in that direction, you got to know that what's the real thing, right? What's the is that's the counterfeit dollar bill, right? C.S. Lewis suggests that there's no such thing as pure evil, just just warped good, just bent good, um, counterfeit dollar bills, right? Um, so we need to know what the real thing is like. Um, in our hearing. Are there any questions with that? I think something I was just thinking of is it's good to to know the, and I think you guys know this too, but just to know the distinction between accusation and condemnation versus conviction. conviction. Yeah. Because um, conviction is holy and it's good and we should want it. Um, so when you're, you sin and you fall short and you feel convicted of that sin, conviction that's meant to lead you to repentance, right? But if you, once you've repented, there's no condemnation. So I don't know, I just don't yeah. to say, I just that's like good. just saying that on top of, um, yeah, because the accuser, he wants, he wants you to, to stay there, right? To stay accused and to stay 
shameful and mm-hmm. stay condemned, but you're not. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Conviction always comes with an opportunity to choose the better portion. There's an open door in conviction. So every time you... Conviction sounds like, um, hey, we need to work on this. Here's how. Here's how. Um, Condemnation, there's no here's how. Right? It's just the merry-go-round of noise. You see the difference? Like, there's always an opportunity to to uh, walk in repentance and to repent. There's an open door with conviction. That's good. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah, so we're talking about the real thing. Uh, let's look at an example in Scripture, again, of what can happen when you don't know the real thing. Judges 2, 10 through 13. Judges is probably the most metal book in the whole Bible. Revelation. Yeah, Revelation's pretty metal too. Judges is Judges is brutal. What is it? Uh, chapter two. Verse. Uh, verse ten through thirteen. Um, I need my Bible or Kirsten's Bible. Uh, chapter 2, verses 10. Oh, no, 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 no wait. <laughs> Judges chapter 2, yeah, verse 10 through 13. Let's, let me get there now. Oh, I want to chapter 10. Are there any books in the Bible that you just always are like, where are you <laughs> when you're trying to find it? It's yeah. like, where the heck is that? It's always like the, the little tiny epistles in the back, like 2 Timothy. And stuff. I'm always like, where is that? Okay, Judges chapter 2. Um, who got there first? No, CJ. CJ, read 10 through 13. Yeah. Okay, so at the beginning of this, we see that the generation were gathered to their fathers. Gathered to their fathers is a very Bible-y way of saying that they all died. Um, the Bible's full of uh, these hilarious um, euphemisms that are trying to like conceal the reality of what's happening. Like, Adam knew his wife. It's like, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they were gathered to their fathers, and then a new generation shows up, okay, and uh, arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Um, so 
who knew neither the Lord or what he had done. So the rebellion that proceeds after this, serving the Baals and the Ashtaroth, which are names for, for the gods of the Canaanite land, um, was caused by two forms of ignorance. Okay, So they were plagued with ignorance. So one, the generation before them didn't teach them, seems like, they didn't teach them the ways of God. The stories of God, the liberation from Egypt, who he is. Um, you know, the Lord says in Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, um, abounding in steadfast love, showing mercy, right? This is, this is his explanation of himself. This new generation was completely ignorant to these things. And it led to uh, rebellion. Uh, so the first form of ignorance is ignorance of the Lord as a person. They didn't understand the presence of the Lord as a person and as a loving um, person. I mean, as like a, like a personality, like an identity that, that they come to. Um, ignorance in testimony. Okay, they don't know what this Yahweh person did for their family. Um, so it seems like, back to the first kind of form of ignorance, it seems like they were unaware of this Yahweh altogether. Right? So they started serving the Baals and the Ashtaroths. That might not be true, but it, it, there's no mention that they even, it says, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So ignorance of the Lord and the ignorance of his testimony. In my life, I've noticed that when I stir up remembrance and gratitude, I desire to obey. Almost every time in the Old Testament when God gives a commandment to his people, he ends it with, because I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So attached to any invitation to obey is, is also, and remember who I am and what I did, okay? So, you, you know, it's like that worship song. I've seen you move, you move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. That's like, that's what this is. I've seen you split the sea and I know you'll do it again. So we don't want to be ignorant of his testimony. Part of, back to the studying counterfeit currency Part of knowing what the real dollar bill looks like is knowing what God has done in the past, before. So we can engage our prayer and our intercession and our hope and be like, you're going to do that again because I've been hearing about it all my life and been remembering that all my life. When I cultivate gratitude and remembrance, I desire to obey. I know... When I do this, the voice, like the sheep, um, and this voice becomes very clear, and the relationship is clarified even more. We want to cultivate this familiarity with the voice. So familiarity is built with um, time and consistency. I've been talking about how these things, time, um, it takes legit investment of time to become familiar with this voice. Um, and um, that doesn't mean you're a complete stranger to it, right? You were made for him. You're, you're, you as a sheep were made for him, and you, you recognize his voice. But the more you know his ways, the easier it is to obey. So we want to build 
familiarity with time. So reading your Bible creates familiarity. Praying creates familiarity. Doing what Jesus did by serving and practicing creates familiarity. Our pastor at Calvary Chapel and our friend Sam, he says, you want to encounter Jesus? Go to where he is most, at people's feet. So if we are missing out on legit encounter and intimacy with Jesus, it might be because we're not serving that often. It might be because we're not washing people's feet very often. Um, I don't literally wash people's feet very often. I have, but that's uh, it's more of a ceremonial foot washing. Um, but foot, foot washing as an as a, um, illustration of service. That creates familiarity with what he's like. Knowing so that we can hear his voice better, recognize his voice like the sheep. Um, how often are we serving? How often are we engaging with that heavenly kind of love that prefers another person over ourselves? That's how we learn to recognize his voice. And you guys in this environment in DTS have the perfect opportunity to grow in that. You're in each other's midst all the time. And you are going to get it on each other's nerves. It's going to happen. And this is a wide open door to do what Jesus did and serve and lay yourself down. Uh, this idea of laying your life down for your friends, I think that's in 1 John. Um, there's no greater love than, than those who lay their life down for their friends. How often are you going to get a chance to jump in front of a moving train or a bullet for your friends in your lifetime? Probably once, yeah. Um, if that. Um, so how do we actually apply that in our lives daily? Well, it might look like answering a phone call at 1 a.m. My life and my preferences are that I get enough sleep. It might be um, laying that down to answer a phone call or a knock on the door at 1 a.m. It might be um, filling somebody's tires. Somebody just did that for us, and we just were like, oh, my gosh. Like laying your life down uh, is not off limits to you in undangerous scenarios. You see what I mean? Or safe scenarios. It's something that we practice all the time. And that is how we recognize his voice, is becoming familiar with the nature of God. So following, right? The sheep follow the voice. The sheep follow the voice. The Lord completely, or uh, sorry, being able to follow the Lord has everything to do with voice, right? This is what this is talking about. It's not like um, following him with like knowing a, a whole lot about him. Following him isn't just being a perfect Bible scholar or theologian even. It's about hearing his voice and following him. I think this is a, um, a really, really, really powerful tool um, in cultivating familiarity through remembrance and um, knowing what his voice sounds like in seasons of doubt. In seasons of doubt um, or a great need for his direction. So my encouragement to you to end is simply, you know his voice, you do. You're created, you're his flock. You know his voice when he speaks. So. 
um, if you have this um, tension in your heart to like just lay out the facts for me, because um, um, I feel that way sometimes even with like I want that YouTube video, how to hear God's voice in five minutes or less, you know. Um, but my encouragement to you is when you engage, it's like you are made to respond to his voice. Um, did I give you guys that guitar analogy? When, if I take six strings, oh, yes. Yeah, so when I take, I'm going to do it again. When, when I hold a guitar up to my mouth, there's six strings, each different note. And I hum A, the note A, over all six strings, only the A string will vibrate. Only the A string will vibrate. So it's the same when God speaks to us. There is an inherent response to know, to know what that voice is and his ways. You know, he's singing love, patience, self-control, kindness, all the fruits of the Spirit over us. And we, if there's anything off tune, we just go, oh, Lord, like, come, and, come and bring me into alignment with that. And, and we know the voice. And then we can continue to learn what, what this voice is like, you know, knowing the way, studying the real thing. Studying it, we go, oh my gosh, this voice doesn't condemn, it doesn't accuse, it doesn't uh, bring out chaos in me, it brings out peace in me. Um, correction, like we talked about, but always with an invitation to step into the new. Always with an invitation to step into the new. Um, so I just want to pursue this together as a community. There's some, some application points here um, that we can think about. Um, we want to service. What in the world does that have to do with hearing God's voice better? Well, that's the ways of God. And therefore, we know what that God sounds like. You see how those thoughts are connecting? Uh, equals familiarity. You know. It's like that uh, friendship thing. The more we do what he does, the more we like what he does, the more we start to walk and talk like him. Just like the, the new friend group, you start to adopt the same stupid sense of humor or weird voice that we all do together. You know. um, what else? Let's see. Service. That's, that's the, I guess that's the only thing I thought of. So there's an application for us to think on think about. Um, tomorrow, um, we're going to talk about um, the different ways God speaks, the different ways in scripture God has spoken and interacts with us. Um, so we have, and I'm, I'm not going to focus on all of these because they're very, there's just a lot because look, there's more. So we have silence, doubt, creation. We talked about that already. Scripture, other people, we'll talk about that. Spoken word, supernatural signs and impressions. So we're going to look at this tomorrow and talk about other stuff. So, um, 
Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that um, we're just so interested and, and hungry to know your ways better and to recognize that you are singing over us and revealing um, your nature um, so that we can obey with joy and uh, Lord, just walk out this amazing, um, amazing story you have planned for us, Lord. So we just thank you, our good friend, our Lord, and our shepherd. We love you. Um, and we just, we just ask you for um, greater encounters to come, Lord. We, we, um, we are delighted to um, be with you without agenda. We're delighted to be with you um, in the in-between moments. Uh, so we just pray that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.